0: Hello and welcome to the Sleep Like a Baby podcast. I'm your host Hannah and I'm an infant sleep consultant as well as a mum living and working in South East London. And I am so happy to be back. If you're listening to this in real time, then I am sorry I have taken a month off. Um, I was getting a bit overwhelmed by all of the various things I was trying to juggle and in a bid to avoid burnout... I looked at my workload and decided to pause on the podcast mid-season which wasn't something I really wanted to do but my goodness it was the right decision and um, it's given me a bit of a break to conduct some more interviews and that I am just so thrilled with the episodes that I've now got in the tank so I can't wait for you to listen to them and this episode today is a particularly special one. It is probably the most enlightening and informative conversation I've had with any guest on this podcast. I am a huge fan of Zoe Blasky's. She runs the Motherkind podcast, which I'm sure many, many of you will be more than familiar with. It's the number one parenting podcast in the UK. She's had over three million downloads. It's been running for five years and she's spoken to hundreds of Experts and incredible thinkers about motherhood, parenting, psychology you know, the, this whole spectrum of life. And she is such an amazing communicator. And the way that she explains and kind of goes into the complexities and intricacies of maternal guilt and shame and matrescence and all the things I am just so fascinated with um, really is. A treat to listen to and I just want to say thank you to Zoe so there's a link to her website in the show notes and I'm not going to go into too much actually in this intro I think we should just get to it because um, I don't I can't say anything better than Zoe already has done in the episode so here we are maternal guilt and shame and everything else in between The Sleep Like a Baby podcast is supported by The Octopus Club, the online marketplace where you can buy, sell and give away baby and kid stuff without any hassle. If your home is piling up with toys, clothes and bits of kit that your little one no longer uses, The Octopus Club offers an easy, environmentally friendly way of selling or donating things to other families. And if you're on the hunt for high quality second hand goods, this is the place for you. Honestly, the stuff on there is gorgeous. Check them out on Instagram or go straight to their website, theoctopusclub.com to sign up today. Hi Zoe, how are you? Yeah, good,
1: thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so
0: much for your time today. So um, yeah, where should we start? I suppose I'd love to start off with asking you
1: how you're sleeping at the moment how I'm sleeping yeah <laughs> I, I'm so lucky because I am just one of those people who had hit the pillow and yeah I'm asleep so I tend to get about eight hours a night Lovely. I also have my girls are a bit older now so Jessie's seven and Rose is well Jessie's nearly seven Rose is nearly three yeah so I'm out of that like constant night waking yeah and I'm quite good at getting to bed early so I'm a, I'm sort of Early to bed, early to rise. That's my that's my rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. So I tend to get make sure I'm asleep by ten in bed by half nine. That's so good. (laughs) And then I get up, I get up sort of half five, six um and do some work before Mm -hmm. the rest of the or some meditation or something. I do something that feels good for me before the rest of the house gets up.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I need to yeah, I'm such a night owl. I find that really difficult um and yeah with I suppose yeah with children they naturally rise early don't they so I think if you can gra- grab that time for yourself at the start of the day I think that makes a big difference
1: well, we all have different rhythms don't we and there's mm. there's the me- there's some amazing studies about this now that show that actually you'll know all this of course but actually <laughs> you know when we were sleeping on the savannas it would not have made sense for us all to sleep at the same time so like if I think about my husband I can absolutely see how he would have been one of those people who was on the night watch because he genuinely, genuinely does not ever fall asleep before 1 a.m. Yeah. And he he wants to wake up at sort of 9 10. Yeah. And obviously that doesn't happen. So yeah, it's just fascinating. But I'm I I feel quite lucky that I'm one of those people that wants to go to bed early and wake up early. Yeah. I think um I wish I'm very lucky actually because
0: yeah my husband also has a very different body clock to me, which has really worked out well in a parenting situation. Um, But I wish I'd asked I think people should ask that on like first dates. (laughs) Like Are we compatible with our body clocks? 100%. Yeah,
1: it's quite (laughs) funny. Like, Guy and I just don't really see each other. Like, because I go to bed at 9.30, he's just starting his night at that point. He's just settling into like a film or something. And then I'm, I, he doesn't actually wake up till much later than me because I do all the morning stuff with the girls. So, yeah, we we rarely see each other. The- <laughs> <laughs> but it works. It works. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And so, yeah, so your girls are a bit older now, but what, what was your experience like of kind of parenting and sleep, especially with your first?
1: Yeah, Jessie, my first, she is what I would call like a deeply feeling child. So she's, she's super, she feels everything. She's highly empathetic and holds on to a lot is very emotional and, and that is the same with her sleep so she's never been an incredible sleeper she she's needed a lot of support from me I she didn't sleep for about a year for more than sort of an hour at a stretch that was really intense and then I tried to do leave her to cry for a bit but I just couldn't do it it was like visceral for me I could not do it so yeah, I essentially had quite tricky time. Well, is it was it tricky? At the time it was looking back, I can be like, oh, it was beautiful. But I had to lie with her every single yeah. night basically until she yeah. fell asleep. And then when she turned six, I said, now is the time when you're gonna have to learn to get yourself to sleep. So I would sit in her room to start with, just on the floor, while she would drop to sleep. And sometimes that would take like two hours, quite painful. And now it is way, way, way better. So she's nearly seven and we have quite a clear routine. And then we have a bit of special time. I put the little one to bed and then we have a bit of a special time where we play normally like Uno or something like that. We play a game together and then she gets into bed and she loves, do you know, calm, the the well being? Mm. Yeah. So yeah. Yep. Yeah. So they have these kids sleep stories and they are just like incredible. The girls, both girls love them now. So I pop on one of those um, uh, by about eight and then she's normally asleep by about quarter past eight. So now it's good, but it's definitely been a challenging old road with Jessie. And with Rose, who's nearly three, she's just always been super easy with her sleep. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, you just sort of put her down and... That's it.
0: <laughs> were you nervous having a second child about sleep or had you sort of just accepted by that point?
1: That's what? Yeah, sleep I bottomed. was really nervous. And I said to Guy, because we had quite a big gap between our two, we have four years gap. And I said, if we're going to go for a second, then I'm really going to need a lot of support through the night. So what we did was we did mixed feeding straight away. So we did boob and bottle and he did all the nights because that fit him. He was awake anywhere at 1am. So I just bought my bedtime really early, like eight or nine. It was also the pandemic because Rose was four months when we went to pandemic, so no one was doing anything. Well, that was that made it loads easier from that sense. So I would just go to bed super early. He would do all the night feeds with Rose. And in that way that they, they got really, really close. So I'd say he was more bonded with her in that first year than I was. And um, yeah, and then I would get up with her but now she started going through the night actually I can't remember exactly when but quite quite early on and as always just she rarely rarely wakes up I can't actually remember the last time she woke up in the night which is amazing that's so nice because I think
0: that anxiety of going into the night not knowing what's going what's in store it, it can really take a toll can't it
1: yeah that's what I experienced with Jessie I found mm. it really really hard um and it definitely played into my feelings of just complete overwhelm and anxiety and yeah i found it i found it really really hard she was she just yeah she would just wake up constantly and knowing her now i get that you know yeah. she was probably processing everything or feeling everything whereas rose is a completely different personality she's like take it or leave it like yeah. not much not she's just <laughs> crazy confident a bit wild whereas Jessie is completely different personality and, and I can see how their sleep just mirrors that but I didn't know any of that then no. and I just was like oh my god I'm exhausted I remember just those days where I it just felt like wading through prequel every single day like that heaviness and that darkness and yeah not knowing you know when or how she was gonna nap and mm-hmm. yeah it was hard it was really hard but I think the gift of of having a second is that you know that at some point it does it does pass yeah Yeah. and you don't know that with your first one
0: you don't I think you're so right about no it would just be so nice to have that crystal ball and understand that oh that is your personality because I have the same thing with my son who's three and a half I just think of course you slept. you could never have slept any differently than the way you did when I look at who you are now as this little person um but yeah when you're in it it just feels endless doesn't it, it feels like you're going to be sleep deprived for the rest of yeah. your life
1: I think if I think if I had um I'm not gonna going have a thumb if I did and it was similar to Jesse what I would do is just completely embrace that now I would just get her in bed with me and that would, you know, we would just sleep together whenever we could. Whereas because I didn't know that, I didn't know her personality, I really wanted her to get into a, you know, a a rhythm and all this sort of stuff I was forcing against her nature.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and
1: I can really see that with Rose, how it's just her nature to just be easy breezy and sleep. So what I would do differently is I would have just embraced that. I would have just had her in bed with me for five years basically yeah. until she was ready. Yeah. Um. But I didn't, I just didn't have that. I didn't have that confidence. Yeah. And I think, I think that's really common for a lot of, a lot of first time parents.
0: Definitely. Definitely. I, I really relate to that. And I suppose that's why I think, the subjects of guilt and shame and sort of self-blame and things are so important when we talk about sleep because did what did you that that sense of responsibility I suppose that lots of us feel about how our children sleep uh, can kind of tip into maybe guilt over it or that, that we're doing something wrong did you ever feel that
1: I did I ever feel that I was doing something wrong I think I think I just just wish that she would sleep I I never I don't remember ever thinking that there was something wrong I was just like I just want this baby to sleep for more than like two hours at a time and I do remember like inhaling sort of books and content and, and trying to and trying to figure it out I don't remember ever feeling guilty the only time I felt really guilty was when I tried to do sleep Mm -hmm. training and I was like this just my husband was really strong on it he was like come on we just need to leave her to cry for a bit and it will be fine And, and so I was like okay let's give it a go and I just I just couldn't do it I just couldn't do it and and it was it was a real source of tension between Guy and I because he would be like right so we've got to leave her for two minutes and after like two seconds I would be in there picking up he's like it's not gonna work and I'm like it's not gonna work for me I can't I could sense that she was um highly attuned and emotional and just that was just I'm not you know that's just my experience of it yeah I think if I'd tried it with Rose it would have you know she wouldn't have cared to be honest this is Um, the thing
0: that I think that is really true I think um you know I'm what I do is I offer alternatives to to that to sleep training to try it out because um You know, I understand the moral argument and I understand why people feel strongly about different sleep strategies, but ultimately I would say that 99% of my clients and sort of people I've got to know in this space do so because it is what they feel is right for their child. Like I don't think it's always this big moral judgmental argument about what is wrong, what is right. I think there is often just a feeling that your child, it's not for you, it's not for them. And you just have this sense that that it's not going to work anyway that's and actually over half of my clients have tried it and it's not worked so you know it doesn't work for everyone and it's it's absolutely fine if that's not for for your that particular child
1: yeah it's it, the, the way i see, i mean the way i see sort of mother i mean i i work and speak to specifically the experience of mothers and motherhood but of course it is this is for all parents is that i feel like a really big part of that matrescence period where we're becoming a mother and we are stepping into our power more and we're learning to trust ourselves more it it it's it's across everything isn't it it's across how we birth how we handle the newborn sleep whether we breast whether we bottle and I feel like just of course there are myriad opinions there are studies you can always find one study and then another one to counter it you know that's just how it is that's how it is with Actually, a lot of things in our world.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I think the, the the trick is, and the key is, like, can I tune into what feels right for us? And of course, mm. that might change. You know, that's 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 good too. But I think when you can do that, then you can soften a little bit of that that outside noise of how you should be doing something. I think where that can get really challenging is if you and your partner maybe have. Different views, yeah. which is what I experienced around sleep training. Um, then it's all those sort of relational re- relational skills that come in around sort of communication and compromise, which is really, really hard when you're also exhausted. Yes. So absolutely. I think I think it's a I think it's a really, really, really challenging, challenging time and challenging thing. Um, but I think it's really about tapping into what is right for our family. And that's not just with sleep, that's with everything. And that's really what what parenthood and raising children ultimately you know you're being asked to make choices multiple choices probably hundreds of choices if we think about it every single day and you have to find a way to figure out your way through that so that you don't feel constantly guilty about the choice that you didn't make or guilty about the choice that you did make or make a decision and then waver on it or make a decision and then someone says oh don't do that and then you freak out about it if that's your kind of MO it's it's going to be really 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 hard yeah so it's 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 like a foundational skill really i think of 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 having to grapple with all of this content and information because remember we're the first generation of parents raising our children with access to billions of opinions at the touch of a finger in our back pocket. And our parents didn't have that. We are the first generation. We're a big experiment. So I think I think we have to get really good at silencing out, making a decision, going with it, silencing out some of that noise, changing it if we need to. Otherwise, yeah, you're going to spend the whole time feeling confused, guilty, overwhelmed.
0: Yeah. So how how did you and and your husband guy then navigate that clash of the sleep training at the time?
1: Uh, it was hard. It was really hard. Mm. So essentially I felt so strongly I felt so strongly about how I wanted to handle her lack of sleep that guy said okay you handle the the sleep and you can be fully responsible for that. You're going to choose to lie with her every night for two hours. I'm not going to do that. And I said okay. And then he took up extra responsibilities in other areas of the household. So I didn't try and change him. I didn't say to him, "No, we're going to do it my way, and you have to lie with her for two hours a yeah, night." Yeah, yeah. Um, because I, he's quite a strong personality. I don't, I don't think he would have done that anyway. So I I just felt so, so, so strongly about it. Essentially, I took it on and I chose to spend two hours of my evenings every single day for, what, four or five years helping her, helping her get to sleep. And that was just a choice that I made. And actually, you know, I knew when it was time to end it because I was starting to get a bit uh, resentful and frustrated about it. So I knew, okay, I have to I have to get her doing this on her own. But also, we have an incredibly close relationship. we have an emotionally close relationship, and I wonder often if it's because we had that time you know where I'd stroke her head, I would say, um like before we had calm, essentially, I would do my own sleep stories, mm. they'd often be about her and her qualities and love, and you know I'd weave some sort of spiritual lessons and try you know in there it was really beautiful um. And it was a choice that I made and it was a choice that Guy did not choose to make and that was okay for me. That Every single relationship is different, isn't it? For some yeah. people, that wouldn't have been okay. They would have yeah. had to have got their partner on board or maybe they would have gone, found another way to compromise through it. That was our way. But I think it's really common. You'll know better than me. I think it's really common for two parents to have completely different views on how to handle sleep, on how to handle weaning, on how to handle school, on how to handle homework, discipline, you know, all of it.
0: Everything, screen time, screen snacks, time. everything, like all of exactly. the little things. Yeah, it's just that some, like you say, because you're exhausted, because at certain points, sleep might take over your life, that can become the battleground, I suppose. But actually there's constant kind of collaboration and boundaries. And, it's yes. just, it's-
1: and I, think, I think it's a skill as well to be, just like we did in that sleep example, like I feel really strongly about this. So I'm going to step up. And parent in this way. I had his support, but I didn't have his presence in that. So he wasn't like, don't worry, Zoe, I'll lie with her tonight. And it actually got to the point where she wouldn't let him do that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so, but there are some other things that he feels really strongly about. I don't feel as strongly about. So I'm like, cool, you go and handle that. Like bike riding, I'm like, I don't really care if they learn to ride, ride a bike, to be honest. Whereas he's <laughs> like, no, they really need to do that. That's a foundational skill. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm like, great. So he's bought the bikes, bought the helmets. He does it with them. He's taught. I've had nothing to do with it. And then there are some things where neither of you are going to feel that strongly. And then it's like, okay, well, let's just find a middle ground and muddle through. And I think, I think being really clear on what those things are for each of you in your parenting, even if, and if you're co-parenting, whatever your setup is, you know, we're assuming that you're in the same home, which of course is not, is often not the norm. Um, then I think it's just being really clear on what those things are and what's in the middle column that you're going to compromise on or work a way through with. But it take, yeah. it's hard. It's hard. It takes a lot of communication, takes a lot of trust, takes a lot of knowing yourself. Because, of course, you don't know. This is the other challenge. Is you don't know the things that you're really going to care about till you become a parent. Yes. I had no idea that I would care and feel so strongly about um lying with Jesse I would never have known that before I was a parent and Guy would never have known that he had have felt so strongly he didn't want to do that
0: yeah I thought that people that didn't sleep train seemed weird to me I was like why would you not do that do you know what I mean like before I had children I was like well I've seen it on TV obviously that's just what you do and like you know yeah until you know your child and you meet yourself as a mother you don't know what your kind of I suppose red lines are or what what becomes important to you and yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? I think something that uh, Lindsay Hookway talks about, who was a, you did a great episode with her. I loved hearing you two talk about sleep. Um, yeah, she's. if you're having those conversations, particularly around sort of different approaches to sleep, and it isn't always about sleep training either, is it? Because sometimes it's, it could be anything around sleep, of where they sleep or whatever, um, when or whatever. And she says, you know, just if there is something that is just, non-negotiable for you just ha- have an agreement that that is off the table you're both going to have this conversation but they've got to just stop asking to do the thing that you really that like, is really crossing your line and but like you say it's difficult
1: yeah exactly that's bad that's that's exactly it that's what um boundaries you know, are boundaries are yeah exactly my <laughs> boundary hard. was my boundary yeah. was I'm going to do this with Jesse and it, you know actually I still sort of get why you you know I get it it's really hard I don't want to I basically didn't have an evening for like five years because I would lie down with her from seven till nine and then I would go to bed yeah (laughs) which was hard because I was also trying to grow my business and a lot a lot of people will do that in the evening so I lost that time um so yeah it's really hard it is really hard this is why I'm so passionate about offering mothers you know really simple coaching tools and ideas that they can bring into their you know, family life, their home life, and their their work life to help them navigate some of this.
0: Before we carry on with the interview, I just wanted to make a quick announcement that I have recently launched a brand new webinar all about starting childcare and sleep. This is one of the most common um, concerns that comes up when I talk to people about their child's sleep and how your little one is going to figure out that transition from sleeping at home with you perhaps you've always supported them a lot and now they're going to be sleeping um, with new caregivers in a new environment so whether that's nursery daycare or they're going to be cared for by a family member I've put together a webinar that covers how to support their settling process, how to support their sleep during that transition, and a PDF troubleshooting guide as well, which covers various different scenarios of what might happen. Um, but essentially, you know, I just want to reassure anyone that you don't have to make big changes before your child starts childcare, but there are a few pointers in this webinar that help you navigate that new stage as a family. All the details are linked in the show notes, or you can find out more at my Instagram at Little Sleep. So, could you tell tell me a bit more then about your business?
1: Yeah, I mean, I started I started Motherkind when Jessie was one because. I found that the areas that I I was really struggling with um, as a mother were actually not to do with mothering her. They were not to do with, um, you know, feeding or the weaning or the playing or the playgroups. It was all the stuff that was coming up for me around guilt and insecurity and perfectionism and fear. And, yeah, I was just like, wow, this feels like I'm being asked to sort of up-level in terms of how I feel about myself and my worth and the decisions that I'm making and motherhood threw that up for me particularly around decisions around work and decisions around you know how and where we lived and and all sorts and so I prior to becoming a mother I'd spent 10 years really delving into coaching and the world of addiction recovery and the world of meditation I'd, I'd spent 10 years absolutely immersed in that so I I had all those sort of tools in the background but a lot of those just didn't fit my life now they would they would take too long you know I couldn't go on a weekend retreat I couldn't do like yeah you know a half an hour meditation or whatever it was so I started to look for the content out there that spoke to my experience as the mother and I didn't find very much at all. I found lots on what to wear, tons of that. <laughs> I, found, I found tons on how to start a side hustle and it wasn't really what was in my head at the time at all. I found lots on, you know, which gin was the best gin to drink to, to, <laughs> to, to, to get through it all. And I was like, I hadn't drunk for God knows how long at that point. So I was like, none of this is really speaking to me. So then I started to look at sort of non-motherhood focused content and ideas and and, uh, experts that could help me and help me understand what was happening. And I started to learn about matrescence, which was which is this anthropological phrase, which means the becoming of a mother, where your brain changes just like when we become adults from teenagers, your identity changes, everything gets thrown up in the air, and you're like, What the sweet hell? That's my trust sensor. So I started to learn about that. I started to learn about some uh, psychotherapeutic concepts around how your children will trigger in you what was happening to you at that same age in order to be healed, which just blew my mind.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I started to learn about invisible labor. I had never heard this term before, which is all the things that mothers do. They're invisible to hold the household together and emotional labor. So essentially I just started diving into research whenever I could, which wasn't a lot of time, but I have some gifts. One is that I'm an exceptionally fast reader. And the second one is that I can assimilate and hold information. So I was like, these gifts are really helping me now. And ultimately they, they help me every single day in my job. So I was telling friends about this. I was like, did you guys know this about this thing called matrescence? And they were like, what? We've never heard of that. And I was like, did you guys know this? Like, I think the reason that I'm feeling so uncertain is because my mum had a tricky first year with me and, and everyone was all my, my sort of mum mates were like, wow, this is incredible. And I was complaining. I was like, don't you think it's insane that the content we're served as mothers just feels so it felt so patronizing to me a lot of it. Yeah um just like oh you're a mum now here's you know wear this do this buy this yeah I said where's the depth around the motherhood content I was a bit I was on a bit of a rant about it and someone said well maybe you should do something about it and I was like no that's an insane idea I would never do that I'm a marketing consultant (laughs) and (laughs) this is what I do and then sure enough sure enough as often these things are sort of tapping you on the shoulder Yeah. so I decided that I would start a blog and then I realized that mothers probably don't have that long to read blogs so then I the podcast was sort of around ish they were just becoming what we know of them now just becoming much 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 bigger so I thought I've always loved speaking I've always been a way better speaker than I am writer so I decided that I record six episodes and I said to myself you don't have to put them out you just have to record them and that was the start of the podcast. And now, and now we're five years in, we've had 4 million downloads. And um, yeah, I've spoken to some of the best experts in the world on this topic. And I've been able to assimilate and simplify a lot of that information with my role because I'm a trained transformational coach. So what I then do is, is take a lot of that world-class, deep thinking, research, science-backed ideas, concepts and tools, I translate those into really simple, but absolutely transformative coaching tools. And I run groups, coaching groups for mothers, I do one on one work with mothers all about helping them navigate this new landscape. So I might be talking to a mother about often I coach really senior women who will be running big businesses and just feel absolutely floored by you know they've now got three times the things on their plates with everything they have to do with that but a third you know sometimes half of the time they had before yeah they have an you square that circle so i coach mothers on that i coach mothers often on what comes up for them around their mindset their beliefs how they feel about themselves in in their lives so that's that's what i do in totality and and the big sort of vision is is i w- i want to see every single mother feel supported and empowered and inspired through her motherhood journey whatever that looks like for her for some people that might look like quitting a soul-sucking job in order to just stay at home and nourish her little babies for some mothers that might look like for the first time ever finding work that lights her up for some mothers that might mean you know deep more deeply committing to her relationship and looking at her fears around that. For others, that might mean leaving a relationship that doesn't fit, you know. There's 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 I've coached mothers on every single possible iteration. Yeah. And um, but it's all about at its core, it's all about helping mothers to feel within deep within themselves that they they are enough and that they are the perfect mother for their child, and their child is the perfect child for them. And that ultimately, you know, this motherhood is an opportunity to completely transform in an incredible way, you know, who we are and how we show up.
0: Yeah, I I, I do think that that word transform is so important because you're right when we talk about um, like new maternal identities, that's like a conversation that you hear a lot. Oh, wow, My whole identity has changed and you're right. That results in conversations about whether you should wear like a puffer jacket or a leather jacket. Now you're a mum, you know. That it's so surface level about what does your identity look like, and are you a cool mum or are you like a you know a super mum or whatever that is. And it's so it just doesn't touch the you know it's it's just so surface. Um, and when I learned about When I heard the word matrescence, and actually it was probably from your podcast, actually, now I think about it, Um, uh, it was just like this light bulb moment of like, yeah, that is is it. It is not uh, that my hips are now like a little bit wider. (laughs) Like that's really not what's going on here. It is that my whole body has changed. My brain has changed my my social structures my everything It it is it did feel like adolescence but more intense in a different way and yeah and I I also think it's so important to talk about that invisible that the invisible labor as well um it's it's such a huge thing that we don't talk about enough I think um And again, probably I learned that from your podcast, you know, so much still, you know, I, I still often just feel like so much of the work we do is unseen. And I think that comes up a lot with sleep as well, because like you were saying, you know, every night for two hours, you were with Rose and these aren't necessarily things that I think our culture celebrates or even recognizes. And actually a lot of the time, if, if you are someone maybe with a deeply feeling child or they've got particular health needs, or that's they're just going through something and right now they just need you a lot in the night. A lot of uh, mothers will hear the message, well, then you need to change that. You need to fix that. Um, You know, um, why don't you just leave them to cry for a little bit? And if that's not what is your gut is saying is the right thing, then that you feel even, I don't know, you feel invisible. Like the work you're doing is not valued. It's not seen. It's lonely. You know, those hours in the night where you're feeding a baby, they can be they can be magical they can be beautiful and they can also be really lonely
1: and if yeah so i think sleep is a big part of that invisible labor for a lot of mothers 100% 100% and i think as well that's where it's about you know knowing that we are where we are societally mm. and it isn't recognized and it is for the most part completely invisible it isn't celebrated no one was saying to me it's really incredible what you're doing. Definitely not Jesse, definitely not anyone around me. Most people around me were going, this is insane what you're doing. So, but that's where it comes back to, you know, a huge part of that transformation for me has been really validating myself. And I just kept saying to myself, I know that this is an amazing thing that I'm doing. I know that this is, you know, really going to support her in, in years to come. And actually sometimes I would think, isn't it amazing that i get i just would try and reframe it for myself like i'm getting 2 hours just to regulate i would if if i wasn't here i would be working i'd be on instagram i'd be doing a podcast i'd be on emails i'd be watching some crap on telly you know whereas i'm here there's i literally cannot do anything so i would start to build in like a little meditation practice to it for myself as well so i think i think it's all about knowing that we are where we are and understanding that having the awareness of that it is invisible what mothers do is generally not celebrated in the home or outside the home know that also know that you can validate yourself and that is so important you can know your values and that is like a real guilt buster You can be like, I know that my values are X, Y, Z. And that takes a bit of work, you know, to figure out what those are and what's really important to you, but is really important. And then think, okay, I am really parenting to the best of my ability, obviously not perfectly, to the best of my ability. I'm parenting in line with my values. And really give yourself that validation. You know, make sure that you take a bit of time at the end of every day to jot down what you did right. Mm. because we just don't do that and then we forget it you know our brain our brain's actually wired not to focus on that stuff our brain is wired to focus on what we do wrong it's just it's it's an evolutionary um it's, it's the way we're wired from an evolutionary perspective so we have to get intentional about thinking you know i did a really good job when my little toddler fell over today i really validated his feelings I regulated my own emotions. I didn't freak out. I sorted out. I did bloody well. That is amazing. I wouldn't have handled it like that a year ago. You want to write that stuff down. You know, I did such a good job today. I tried a new meal for them or I gave myself a sit down when they were watching some TV and I didn't rush up and, you know, rush around the house and go crazy. And I felt really regulated. You've got to be capturing all of this stuff because no one else is going to no one else is going to is going to do it and that that really starts to form the basis of a of a higher self trust of a higher esteem of more confidence but we have to do it
0: do you think that's where guilt comes from a lot then for mothers is is that lack of validation or is it more com- i guess it's more complex yeah <laughs> it's
1: not it's multi-layered and it's complex and i've spoken to gosh some incredible voices on this so so where my understanding And my experience and the studying that I've done, I've done around guilt is that essentially pre-motherhood, if we take motherhood out of it, it's very, very simple. We feel guilty when we do something that digresses from our values. So if I didn't show up on this podcast, Mm. I just, I just ghosted you. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I would rightfully feel guilty about that because one of my values is that I am trustworthy, I'm reliable, and I do what I say I'm going to do. So that's guilt outside motherhood I'm yeah. just going to start there and then we'll weave in why motherhood makes it all <laughs> so it's, complex
0: it's functional essentially isn't it because it's
1: a function yeah. it's a function we're, we're, every single emotional feeling serves a function mm-hmm. because that's how evolution works right so guilt was there so that if we did something wrong we would go back and repair it and we would learn for next time Shame is different shame is where we do something and so in that example if I ghosted you for this podcast, I would think I am a bad person. Mm-hmm. I am wrong for doing this. And we really go into people talk about that shame spire. And Bruno Brown talks about this amazingly getting stuck in shame, which is where you feel bad as opposed to guilt, where you're like, I am a good person who just couldn't show up today for whatever reason on that podcast. And I'm going to fix it. So that's guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. When we become... Mothers, the two guilt and shame, get very intertwined. Mm. So we tend to do something like, you know, what might it be? Give the milk that was too hot for the baby and the baby hasn't get and you're like, oh my god, I've just essentially burnt my baby's mouth because I've the milk's been too warm. I'm sure every single parent's had an example of that where they've tested <laughs> it and gone, it's fine, and then it wasn't fine. Shame is like, I am a bad mother i am a bad parent and that's really common to go into that spiral
0: mm.
1: guilt in that example for me would be rightful guilt i'm a parent who wants to do no harm to my child and i just did some harm so actually i feel really i know i'm a good mother who just made a mistake because i'm sleep deprived
0: yeah
1: so that's like healthy guilt healthy guilt mm. shame is never healthy essentially but in motherhood, because we have all these messages coming at us constantly uh, through decades, actually, and through generations of what a quote unquote good mother is, yeah, that's where the guilt really ramps up a level. So if you've been fed messages your whole life that good mothers are present and good mothers don't work, and these are not overt messages like your mum might not tap you on the shoulder and said that, But it's what you might have witnessed. It's what you might have seen in your in your family. It's what you want to seen in your friends. It might have been what you've you've seen in films or whatever. All of this gets lodged in our subconscious. And then we decide that we want to work, for example, the guilt would be there. Now, I would say that's not rightful guilt.
0: Yeah.
1: So the examples that I was talking about are sort of rightful guilt and guilt. That's typically about 2% of, of the total guilt that a mother experienced. The rest of it is essentially not guilt. It's not actual guilt. What it is, is shame. I'm a bad mother mixed in with the expectations of yourself, your child, your partner, your life from societal messages. So the absolute way to cut through all of this is to notice when you're going into shame I am a bad so it starts with I am the moment you hear that in your internal voice you want to get really good at catching it and changing it to something like you know I'm a good mother who and I had just had Dr Becky Kennedy on the podcast who talks about this amazingly she has a book called good inside which really talks to this I am a good mother who just forgot to pick her kids up who just whatever it is and then the second thing is when you start to feel guilty about something, it's thinking, does, is this in line with my values? So I go to this breathwork class every Tuesday night. Every time I try to leave both the kids, screen the house down. But I don't feel guilty about that because I'm so clear that doing things for my well-being is a value of mine. So they've got their feelings about it. But my value is that I give to myself so that I can be the type of mother, person, woman, everything, all the roles I have to play in my life. So I don't feel guilty about that. So once you know your values, then you can start to hold that guilt up to the light and say, is this something, am I a good mother who did something out of line with my values? Do I need to repair? Do I need to make some changes? What does that look like? Or am I a good mother who is just acting in line with my values Who's either picking up on other people's feelings, like my kids, or I've been just—I'm just running the societal message that a good mother doesn't leave their child crying to go to a breathwork class.
0: Ah, I feel like you've just saved me like about six months worth of therapy. So thank you. (laughs) It's 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 five years worth of research to get to that clarity. Yeah, it's so true, and I think when we obviously there's a lot of stuff out there normalizing mum guilt right but I suppose what we're actually doing is normalizing mum shaming and and saying it's okay to stay in the shame spiral that's that's your that's normal that's part of your experience of motherhood is is living in shame
1: I feel really strongly about this that that I really want to try and break this idea that when the baby is born the guilt is born which is you know I've heard people say that I've heard really well-known people say that and I want us all to challenge that guilt because when you feel guilty you can't access the you can't access the strength within you essentially when you feel guilt or particularly shame I am a bad mother who you you cannot then show up in that next moment how you want to it's it's very depleting and it squashes your it squashes your esteem and then you're going to start changing your behavior so you know, in that example of the breathwork, that'd be very easy for me not to go. It'd be very easy for me to be like, oh no, no, I feel too guilty leaving. I'm going to stay. And then what happens is over weeks, months, years, I get more and more and more depleted until I'm essentially a screaming banshee at my kids. I'm resentful at my partner, all because I decided in that moment, which then of course becomes cumulative moments, to to push my needs down because I felt that guilt. Whereas that guilt was never mine in the first place. Never mine in the first place. Because my value is that I'm a mother who looks after myself just as well as I look after my children. Yeah. Once you have that clarity, and it's hard, particularly if it goes against societal messages or family messages or your children have feelings about that, which of course they will. Yeah, Actually, and they're allowed to. Yeah. Of course they're allowed to. Yeah. It's great for my kids. I'm What am I modelling to them? I'm modelling to them. And I always say, you know, I can see you're upset about this. I can see you don't want mummy to go. Mummy needs to go and do this for me. And I'm sorry that you're not happy about it. I can see you really wish you really want me to stay. I, I'm not like, shut up. You're being silly. Yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm validating what I'm saying. Yeah. And and I'm going and you're going to be fine. Yeah. That's where resilience is built. We don't build resilience mm. by giving to our children's needs yeah. or our partner's needs every single time. Of course not. We build resilience by saying we can do this hard thing. I come back and we're all fine and over time. That gets easier and easier which of course is what's happening on a tuesday night now they're like oh you're you're off, you off to your breathwork class and everyone takes mickey uh that i need to go and learn to breathe and why do i pay for that <laughs> it's become a bit of a family joke but i i absolutely love it but you know you can insert anything in there you can insert going out for a glass of wine with your friends you could insert you know a yoga mm. class you could insert going to sit upstairs in the attic and reading your book for half an hour you can, yeah. it could be anything it doesn't matter what it is um but it's it's what are your values? Yeah. And if you're if you're doing something in line with your values, you have nothing to feel guilty about.
0: Yeah. I um I read uh like a thing on Instagram from um Libby, who runs the Diary of an Honest Mum account. And yep. it really stuck with me that she said, you know, we talk so much about you can't pour from an empty cup. And the insinuation is therefore like you need a full cup in order to pour for others. And actually you need a full cup for you as well. It's not just to pour for other people (laughs) there. And I think that that really has um, stayed with me. I was like, yeah, it's not just so that I can, obviously I want to be a better mother, friend, partner. I need that. I do want to rest and come back better, but I also need that for me as well. Not just so that I can be that role for others, for that, for my own nourishment and my own, and and that can be very hard for mothers, isn't it? To see your own worth and your, yeah, your
1: own value. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because essentially, you know, our relationship with ourselves is the most important one that we will ever have yeah. because it, it, it colours every single other thing in our lives. So we yeah. have to tend to that as well. The challenge, of course, is that before motherhood, we either can mask that, by you know lots of overworking or you know just running around or partying yeah. too much or whatever it might be and that the consequences are not huge often no the challenges in motherhood the rubber really hits the road where you're really going to get to see what your relationship with yourself is like mm-hmm. and how comfortable you feel um tending to your tending to your own needs because if you if you don't it's going to become really clear, really quickly that you mm. feel more comfortable just giving, 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 giving to everyone yeah. around you and ignoring yourself and the cost of that. Yeah.
0: I've just started reading um the book um Rest is Resistance by Trisha oh, yeah. Hersey. I don't know if um maybe you've already um spoken about this, but um and it's really, really making me rethink a lot of things about how I feel about sort of yeah, hustling and doing and doing and doing and giving and giving. And, and I'm such, you know, I'm a Londoner. I'm, you know, I came a bit like, maybe like you, I came before motherhood. I had a very busy, demanding job. I put a lot of my, I don't know if you felt like this, but a lot of my worth was on my achievements and my, what I did and what I gave to other people and being reliable and being someone that was on it and, you know, a, a high achiever. And then uh, I felt like in motherhood, that has not served me that 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 mindset has not um has not led to yeah has actually led to feelings of guilt and shame and and um burnout and all of those things and so um I mean what does rest mean to you
1: I think in the in the in the big sense it's I'm really clear with those internal boundaries where I parent myself I get myself to bed early and all of that stuff but then also in the sort of micro moments, so often if I'm early to the school run, my tendency will want to be to pick up my phone and mm. social media and be like, oh, I'll just have a quick scroll or I'll just quickly reply to some messages, which is challenging when you know, essentially my business is on social media. But I choose, I try to choose more often than not just to take a little micro mm. moment for myself then just like a reset like some some quick breath work or just I just might pop on like a three minute meditation on calm which I absolutely love or something like that mm. I think rest can happen in those sort of micro micro moments as mm. well and I wonder sometimes if those just as important as those sort of the, the, the sleep that we think about with with Mm -hmm. rest and I think what you're what you're talking to and I haven't read that bit but I do I do know that person Mm. and how they speak and think and I think rest is almost like a it's a way that we approach our lives, isn't it? Like Mm. I am going to restore myself just as much as I'm going to push myself. And actually the studies around how much our brain needs rest in order to perform at its best are sort of mind blowing. Like when we are pushing ourselves and when we, you know, the moment the baby goes down, we're running around the house like crazy. You know, what we're really doing is we're not giving this equipment, this apparatus, you know, the, the best chance at serving us yeah so there's really I would encourage everyone who struggles with rest to, to go and look at those studies because it's actually incredibly mind-blowing about what happens when we allow ourselves just to shut down some of that stimuli that we have constantly in our lives and just come back to ourselves when I'm coaching someone I always encourage them to have at least 10 minutes a day no phone no screens just tuning into themselves because we can't expect to know our values all the stuff we've been talking about we can't expect (laughs) to know our values we can't expect to be able to make confidence centers grounded decisions if we don't have any space with ourselves it's like impossible so yeah it's really important it's really important for me that I try and I try and be really intentional about it of course imperfectly and you know, often I do just pick up the phone, but when I'm like, no, Zo, you really need just five minutes, just centering, grounding, calm your nervous system, calm yeah. your nervous system yeah. Right down, yeah, and then go on about my day.
0: Yeah, I do feel though that yeah, that motherhood, one of the best things it has done for me is slow. It has slowed me down, and I think there can be, especially when you've got a very young baby. I see a lot of a lot of stuff on social media about like you know, if you can. Uh, stop contact napping or yeah get your baby into a strict routine or whatever it is there's a lot of pressure on mums to get all of the cot naps and all of this stuff happening then you can do more you can work out you can you can clean and do all the things and be the person that you're supposed to be uh, and actually I suppose for me and, and I support my son to fall asleep every night. And and a bit like what you were saying, that actually, those moments where he forces me to rest, where I can see that, he, you know, he's a busy toddler. He needs an hour in the middle of the day to just do, be like calm and rest his body if he's not napping. You know, he forces me to slow down. And I also try to carve out that rest for myself and to like to stop and say, actually, I don't need to do, do, do all the time. Um, yeah, It's important isn't it just it it, it's really nourishing I think for yourself um so if someone's listening to this and their baby's asleep on them or whatever you know I think if you can try and let go some of the guilt of what you should be doing or the shame of what you think you should be doing as a mum learning a language starting a side hustle whatever having an immaculate house whatever it is that you've absorbed um and just and rest with your child I think
1: that can be really good for you yeah and the science is there to yeah yeah it's going it's gonna make you more efficient it's gonna make you more clear-headed it's gonna make you be able to make decisions better quicker faster because that's what essentially we need we need that we need those moments when we're we're not stimulated that's also where all creative thought comes from yeah so you know lots of mothers will be thinking okay I want to maybe do something different with my career maybe we want to move area you know all these creative big decisions that we have to make often during those early years we can make those far more effectively with stillness and space and allowing our brain to allowing our brain to rest as opposed to constantly consuming other people's ideas and opinions.
0: yeah oh yeah it's where I do all of my all of my ideas come from though like I'll nearly if you see my grid they're always always my posts are always always written at like eight ten 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 past eight or whatever because that's when I've come out of my son's bedroom feeling like oh, I want to say
1: this I want to say that you know yeah got, it's okay. why it's why most people have their good ideas in the shower because yeah. you, you haven't got your phone with you you've just got you you know and your thoughts and there's nothing else to do in there it's exactly the same principle as when we've got got little people sleeping and resting with us
0: yeah and um so Trisha Hersey was just on Glennon Doyle's podcast and um yeah and she was talking about how rest was also like a sort of a it goes against I think everything we've been taught as as feminist culture you know which is like women have to work and push and actually like this kind of hustle grind culture is actually a part of the patriarchy which essentially hates you, hates mothers, you know, (laughs) hates everything that we do. And so it is that kind of, uh, it's it's a rebellious act.
1: Yeah, because an exhausted mother is a very easy manipulated mother. Mm. An exhausted, an exhausted, depleted mother is going to play into, it's not going to be a problem is going to go yeah great idea you know I'll do that extra hour at work no problem yeah Yeah, no problem I'll do that no problem yeah I'll pick up all the invisible labor not problem don't you worry about it male partner yeah whereas whereas if we're rested we're far more able to access that empowered part of Mm -hmm. ourselves that boundary part of ourselves
0: Mm. so it is
1: absolutely an act of resistance and you're gonna have to battle against all of that conditioning that says that you're lazy that your house is too messy that you need to be cooking something all the other stuff. you know all those messages that, that we've absorbed so it you know absolutely absolutely it's an act of empowerment and resistance to make sure that as mothers we are you know rested and centered and grounded and empowered. And we know our values and we're going to refuse to let guilt keep us small. We don't need any more mothers who are small and guilty and anxious. You know, gosh, like that is just it's so easy to get to that place. What we need is this army of mothers that you're working with. I'm working with, you know, gosh, there's there's so much, there's so much energy around this movement now. We need mothers who feel confident and empowered and strong. Mm. And yeah, can lead in our homes and outside our homes.
0: Sometimes I think I'm yeah, I definitely feel often that I am supposed to feel guilty, and then I feel guilt for not feeling guilty sometimes,
1: which <laughs> is another layer. Yeah, well, that's, that that just shows you, doesn't it? The depth, yeah. the depth, the depth of that conditioning. Yeah, yeah.
0: Because actually, before we started recording, I was telling you that I felt guilty because I, I haven't released a few podcasts in a while and i was thinking about when you were saying i was like i actually don't feel guilty or i i i don't feel shame about that because actually i very purposefully put it down and i looked at my life and i looked at my load and i thought what are my priorities but i feel like i have to say that guilt i have to express that guilt but i'm not guilty i'm not ashamed of it it it's absolutely fine you know it's
1: yeah it's just well that that's that's exactly what we've been talking to isn't it yeah. that you you knew your what your values were, yeah. what your priority list was, what yeah. was important to you. And then and then when you have that awareness, when you have that knowledge, there is no guilt. It's yeah. when you don't have that knowledge and you put the podcast on, then that guilt voice might voice. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. it's that little bit of work that you did before you made that decision, or maybe it was a reaction, I don't know. But the fact that you, you knew that, like, actually, these are the balls that I can't drop. This is what's really important to me. And my value is, is that I'm present for my family and my life Mm. over my business that might be one of your values so then it's something to be celebrated yeah right because living in line with what feels right and important for you as opposed to something to feel feel good about
0: oh thank you so much though this has been yeah such an enlightening conversation and and I do just love how you put how, how you communicate all of it because it makes so much sense
1: to remember that that we're raising you know in many ways our children completely that goes against our biology we're actually meant to raise children in community small groups of about 100 and it was very much a shared experience with each part of that community knowing you know where they added value and what they did you know so many of us having to having to work long 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 hours in order to pay for rising cost of living and often doing that isolated alone, not knowing our neighbors, not having a community around us. That's completely unnatural. Yeah. It goes against our, our biology and our, our wiring, as well as it being incredibly hard. So yeah, it's it's really that message of just compassion and yeah. and to know what's important to you, live by that, and then just let everything else, let that guilt see it for what it is. It's just society, it's just unhealthy, unhelpful societal expectations that we've absorbed.
0: That episode really has influenced so much of my own thinking about motherhood. And something I have really struggled with and something's really come up for me since becoming a parent is just how loud and aggressive my inner critic can be at times and I think something I really took away from this conversation with Zoe was how I need to validate myself, how I need to be kinder to myself Um, and I really love how she not only reflects on this and is so beautifully explains the cultural and social kind of context of maternal guilt and shame and self-criticism and helps us understand why we feel this way. But she also gives some of those really lovely and practical coaching tips for how to actually cope with that. So making a list for myself, validating the hard things that I've done, giving myself that sort of pat on the back (laughs) for those what might seem... Minute kind of successes and small wins that are actually really important achievements that I do with my child and whether that's I don't know. Um, getting him to eat a new food <laughs> when he's been going through a fussy period or whatever it is helping him calm down from a huge tantrum in the middle of a supermarket, whatever that is. It's about validating that I think for yourself and giving yourself um, that recognition and, and self-love and, and kindness to yourself whilst also understanding why your inner critic comes out and where that sort of toxic shame comes from and to recognise that and then not live in that space of shame. So as ever... Thank you to everyone who writes to me and shares their feedback on the episodes. I can't wait to hear what people think of this week's and thank you again for listening.